Maybe you've been wondering whether I, Adam Dowd, am a reviewer or an influencer. Well, I'm here to set the record straight. Plus, I had a chat with a gentleman about sleep and the technology we use to track it. And hey, he's got his own TED Talk. That's a first for me. It's the Benefit of a Dowd Podcast. Welcome to the Benefit of a Dowd podcast. I'm your host, Adam Dowd, and this week we have a pair of shorter top stories for you. First, I give you a little peek behind the Benefit of a Dowd curtain for you when I talk about how I do my reviews. It's a little thing I wrote up while I was on hiatus, and I was going to record it for you when I got back, but... I kind of forgot about it. Then I sat down with Dr. Don Vaughn, who is the head of product at a company called Invisibly. Dr. Vaughn is a neuroscientist, and we talked about being a neuroscientist and sleep and the importance of sleep and whether or not it's important to track it. And we'll get to all of that. But first, we have to get to the news of the week. E3 started last weekend while I was at Six Flags Great America, and... I didn't care because I was at Six Flags Great America, which is like my favorite place ever. But that's neither here nor there. Now, I could dedicate an entire podcast, or at the very least an entire news segment, exclusively to what was announced at E3, but I won't for two reasons. One, I'm not a gamer, and two, gaming companies announce, air quotes, new products like two years before they're set to actually be released, so... I really, really don't care. But one thing that seemed to resonate throughout all the announcements from E3 was that Xbox Game Pass was going to get basically all of them. That's not actually true, but it seemed like every game that was announced was coming to Game Pass. Some speculated that Microsoft is just months away from becoming the true Netflix of gaming, which would be a very powerful position to be in. With Game Pass being available on basically everything, including computers, Android, and more, and with Game Pass sucking up titles left and right, Microsoft is positioning itself as the hardcore leader in gaming for the foreseeable future. So yeah, basically, if you want to play games, you should probably get Game Pass, and that's exactly what Microsoft wants. Speaking of E3, Ars Technica is apparently as sick of the show as I quickly got, notably the air quotes announcements of games that are coming sometime within the lifetime of a middle-aged beagle. So gamers, y'all getting excited about games coming in 2024, 2025? LOL, whatever, bro. Ars has a list of the best games announced at E3 that you can actually, you know, play probably this year. Whoa, how about that? Indie game developers offered Sam Makovec at Ars Technica cloud downloads or cloud streams to play their games for about 30 minutes at a stretch. One of Sam's favorites is also likely one of mine. It's called Ogapo or Ogapogo or something like that. Basically, you have a set of different colored squares and you score points by eliminating blocks that are a palindrome, meaning they read the same backwards and forwards. Like, if you have a block of black, blue, green, blue, black, that's a palindrome and you just scored. And that's really the only one that blew my skirt up. I saw a trailer for a game called 
Square Paper City, something like that. Looks like it could be legit or at least trippy as hell. Sam calls it a first-person rhythm platformer, which could be pretty dope. I do like Beat Saber, after all. This game was more of a trailer than anything, so it's hard to tell whether or not I'm into it, but I'm at least willing to give it a shot, though it should be mentioned that this is a Kickstarter offering with no release date, so it might very well still be years and years away, too. You just can't win with games, so... I guess we're just going to move on. One last piece of E3 gaming news came from Razer. The gaming computer company launched its 14-inch Razer Blade 14, and it's gotten really good reviews thus far. I mean, you can get this thing with up to a GeForce RTX 3080, for crap's sakes. All that is coming in one of the smallest gaming laptops Razer has ever made. With the Razer Blade 14, you'll get an IPS gaming monitor up to a quad HD at 165Hz, two USB-C ports with power delivery, two USB a ports, a full-size HDMI 2.1 port, and a 3.5mm headphone jack. That's a lot of ports for a tiny laptop, which will start at $17.99 US or $19.99 Euros. Personally, I don't really see the appeal of a 14-inch gaming laptop. It seems like gaming would be something you'd want maximum space on. And yes, toting around a 17-inch laptop would be heavy, but come on, you can actually see what you're doing on it. Maybe I just need to shift out of get-off-my-lawn mode with my reading glasses. Plus, Razer did also announce a new 27-inch Razer Raptor 27 gaming monitor with 165Hz refresh rate and the same Quad HD resolution as its predecessor, and it's also the first gaming monitor to get THX certification. Razer is also launching a VESA adapter for all Raptor monitors that allows you to mount them to a wall or a mounting arm so you can get that epic swordfish setup that huge Jackman had, and I don't care if anyone understood that joke, it's an awesome movie. In what might be the most interesting and boring news of the week, OnePlus announced that it was going to merge with its sibling Oppo, which, let's face it, it was never really separated from them in the first place. Oppo and OnePlus are both child companies of BBK, and a month or so ago, OnePlus announced that it was going to share R&D resources with Oppo, and everyone in tech community was like, um... Yeah. And they're like, no, 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 we weren't doing it before. Now we're going to start. And, you know, they were winking a lot. And the tech community was like, oh, right. You weren't before. And now you're going to start. How very, very interesting. Well, this week, OnePlus is making things a bit more official, basically sliding into Oppo's bed and becoming a sub-brand of Oppo. Is this good news? Is it bad news? I honestly have no idea, but it is news, so there's that. This has a lot to do with Pete Chow taking over product strategy for Oppo and running OnePlus at the same time. This also has a lot to do with the fact that it doesn't make sense for OnePlus to be a separate company when they're basically copying all of Oppo's homework anyway. OnePlus says they'll continue to operate independently, or as independently as they ever have, which is fine, and likely this means we'll see even less of a difference between OnePlus phones and Oppo phones going forward. Some of you may have been wondering who the voice actor is that voices Alexa. I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't realize that nobody knew that until now. But a reporter by the name of Brad Stone managed to track down the artist, and her name is Nina Roll. Stone tracked her down and asked her about it, and Roll told him that she wasn't allowed to talk about it to him when he reached out to her by phone. Amazon also refused to acknowledge it, so yeah... It's basically her. Roll has a few clips of her work on her website, and here's one of them. 
Technology was supposed to make things simpler. Your interests connect you to other people, and the internet was supposed to make building these relationships easier. But when we go online, it's not like real life. We get emails and messages and babies and cats and pictures of food and ads for things we already own. I'll be honest, I hear Alexa, Siri, and even a little bit of Cortana in there, so if I had to listen to a vocal lineup, I wouldn't be able to point the finger definitively, but the fact that she told the reporter that she wasn't allowed to talk to him, that pretty much seals it for me. Speaking of Amazon denying things everybody already knows, the shopping giant is looking at using robots more in its warehouses to help get rid of workers. <clears throat> I mean, improve the safety and health of what little workforce remains once robots take over. Specifically, Amazon is looking at using robots to retrieve boxes from high shelves and from low shelves and to carry them around the warehouse so there will be less bending and stretching of Amazon workers themselves. That's nice, I suppose, but are you telling me the robots are only going to be helping humans and not replacing them? Because that doesn't really sound right. Engadget points out that it seems like Amazon is relying on tech to improve working conditions in warehouses rather than, you know, letting the workers take a pee when they need to. Maybe Amazon will develop a piss boy robot like in History of the World Part 1. Maybe Jeff Bezos should hire Count de Money to oversee warehouse operations since he cares so much for the common man. Microsoft has been cagey recently about the leaked release of Windows 11. At first, a while back, Microsoft said that Windows 10 was going to be the last Scion, or at least a product manager said that, and everybody ran with it. Then we started hearing rumors about Windows 11, and Microsoft was silent about that, too. Well, this week, Microsoft pretty much removed all doubt and said that there would be a new version of Windows because it announced it would end support for Windows 10 on October 14, 2025. So, rather than Windows 10 being the last version, version of Windows, it turns out Windows 10 will get about 10 years of support. So that's fun. We can't really delve any deeper to the story without wandering into rumor territory. There's a leaked build of Windows 11 out there with a start button that is inexplicably centered on the bottom bar. Just what the hell, Microsoft? But of course, Microsoft is trying to please all the people all the time, you know, that type of company. And it left in a registry key that allows you to revert the start button back to the left corner, where, by the way, Microsoft, it should always be forever. Anyway, we're expecting a big Microsoft event next week, and I'm sure we'll get a lot more detail about Windows 11 and why the hell the start button is not in the right place. I'll report on it to you then, you know, when it's not a rumor. Starlink started rolling out in beta this year, and we just got our first reviews of the Starlink service last month. We talked about them in the Doubting Thomas Monthly Recap, as a matter of fact. Thank you very much to David Rudock for joining us. Well, as the calendar flips to June, we start to see a problem with Starlink, namely that its dishes are getting a little too hot under the collar. It turns out that a temperature of 122 degrees Fahrenheit, or 50 degrees Celsius, for my international audience, when that happens, the dishes just shut down until they get down to a much more seasonable 104 degrees or 40 degrees Celsius. I mean, I appreciate round numbers as much as the next guy, but still. This seems like a bit short-sighted for SpaceX. I mean, did you really think that these dishes were not going to get up to 122 degrees? I mean, 
you have customers in the desert. This isn't hard, but we have no word from SpaceX as to how or if they are going to try to solve this problem, so it's pretty much left to the individual users to try to figure it out. So we're going to wish them the best of luck, while at the same time wondering what Starlink was thinking about in the first place. R.I.P. Clubhouse, we hardly knew ye. Spotify launched its Clubhouse-slash-Twitter Spaces competitor app Green Room this week. Green Room is based on Locker Room, which is a sports talk app that Spotify acquired in March. As I understand it, people on the Locker Room app will remain there, but new creators will be able to enter the space and start talking about things other than Kevin Durant. And personally, I'd like to say... Thank God. The app has a new Spotify look to it, a black and green color palette and whatnot, but otherwise it remains largely the same app. Personally, I've been interested in Clubhouse and apps like it. As a podcaster, there is, of course, a lot of appeal to audio content, but I think I'm a bit too much of a control freak to let others contribute to a show I'm doing. I mean, you know, other than Cliff and the occasional guest, of course. But from a listening standpoint... I don't really want to interact with people. I just want to listen and enjoy. Clubhouse and Spaces and Spotify are all a bit too much like a conference call for my comfort, but that comes from my very, very limited experience, so I guess what do I know? I think mostly the problem is I just don't have time for a new platform, considering I'm three weeks overdue on posting my camera review for the OnePlus 9 Pro on YouTube. You remember that review from three weeks ago? Well, if things have gone well, that video should be up on the channel as we speak, and if not, well, sorry. Blade Air Mobility is a sort of Uber for helicopters company based in New York because, honestly, where else would an Uber for helicopters company be based? Well, Blade Air Mobility made headlines this week by admitting that they had a fake spokesperson named Simon McLaren answering calls and emails and doing interviews with media for the past three years. And when I say fake spokesperson, I mean like the guy didn't exist. Instead, whenever media would reach out for a comment on something, one of the other executives would log into his email account and write back, or hop on the phone for an audio interview. CEO of Blade, Rob Weisenthal, had this to say about it, quote, When we were a small company, everyone had to wear many hats. When it was appropriate for a spokesperson to respond to a press inquiry rather than the CEO, given that we didn't have a spokesperson, we used a pseudonym, typically in email communications. Honestly? I respect that. Like, when you're a small company, especially one that wants to generate cash by offering helicopter rides to work, money is going to be tight, so you really can't expect a company to have a salary for a spokesperson, because let's face it, how often is media going to reach out to a company dedicated to rich people? Not often. So... There's no real bigger story here except the company hid behind a fake person for three years. And I just wanted to throw that out there and say as a two-man podcast operation, I can respect the need to wear multiple hats. Wait, did I say two-man operation? I meant three-man operation. Isn't that right, Chester? That's right. I'm talking to Benefit of the Doubt spokesperson, Chester Rosenheimson. Yeah, Chester Rosenheimson. Say a few words, Chester. Hi, I'm Chester. Aha, you see? That's our new spokesperson. And Blade Air Mobility, I just want to let you know, we see you, boo. 
And finally, this showed up in Reddit this week, so I'll drop a link in the show notes, but we have a couple of guys showing us in super slow motion what happens when a baseball impacts a water balloon. And to say that the results were surprising would be an understatement. I mean, it's obviously a visual thing, so I'll simply direct you to the link in the show notes, but trust me, it does not behave how you think it will behave. It is really neat and fascinating to watch, so go check it out. Once again, link in the show notes. I've seen a lot of debate on the interwebs lately about whether one considers themselves an influencer or a reviewer, and for what it's worth, I wanted to offer my take. First and foremost, I consider myself a reviewer, period. And the reason for that is very simple. When I'm given a product to look at, I'm going to tell you if it's great or if it sucks, and what's great about it and what sucks about it, without exception. I've never been in a position to do a paid review before, and to be totally honest, if I were ever to do a paid anything, I would not call it a review, ever. A review is a fair and impartial look at a product. I cannot have a horse in the race. That's not fair to you. I've never given any company any kind of editorial oversight over any kind of review, tech yeah, mini review, and I never will. I've never been asked to do a sponsored review or a sponsored segment, though that is certainly on the table, and when that happens, I will disclose the hell out of it. That being said, over this past year, I have received products for review that I have not had to pay for. Generally, you hear about that at the end of the show when I thank them for sending over, you know, whatever. I also let you know the other way because I'll usually not thank them for not sending a review unit. That's your cue for, I bought this myself. In some cases, these are phones. In most cases, these are phones. The Samsung Galaxy S20 FE, the Samsung Galaxy S21 Ultra, the iPhone 12 Pro, and the Pixel 4a are all notable examples in that category. I also bought and reviewed my Daily Driver laptop, though recently Lenovo's been dousing me in laptops, so maybe I didn't have to. Speaking of which, Lenovo is a company that typically sends out loaners for review with the expectation that they be returned. Additionally, the DuraBook and the Insta360 camera that Cliff looked at were both examples of loaners. Often, very often in fact, devices and samples are sent out to a reviewer, myself included, with no expectation that they'll be returned. That's where things get a little tricky, but let's back up just for a minute. The vast majority of reviews that I have done for benefit of a doubt have been the result of a company reaching out to me and saying, hey, we like the cut of your jib and we'd like you to take a look at XYZ product. I'll read over the description and check out some photos and reviews and if it seems like something that I personally would be interested in, I'll go ahead and accept the product. A few times, and this is fairly rare, but a few times I have initiated contact with the company and said, hey, I came across XYZ product and I'd like to take a look at it. Here are my credentials. Can we work on something? In either case, if both parties agree to a review, I will accept. From there, the relationship blossoms. When I receive a product, I will work it into my workflow and or lifestyle. Sometimes that's going to be easy. Other times it's going to be incredibly hard. If the product is intended for a certain niche, I will try to fit myself into that niche. Now, the benefit here is that I generally don't have to pay for a product in order to try it out. And I see that as sort of a blessing because at the end of the day, I don't have to commit my own money into finding out if something is as awesome as the marketing makes it look. 
In turn, I report my findings to you, and you don't have to commit your money to find out if it's awesome. I'll tell you why I think it's great or why I think it's not. Plain and simple. Sometimes, 30-50% of the time, PR folks will include a reviewer's guide to point out the highlights and use cases of a product. Often, it's left to me to find out for myself, so I use the products as much as possible for as long as possible, often a few weeks at a time, or at least until I think I have a comfortable understanding of just what this thing is and maybe who it's for. Then I'm going to tell you about it, and it's fairly as simple as that. Now, the one hang-up people will have is, well, if you accept a free product, you're getting paid for the review, and sort of a yes and a sort of a no statement. Yes, I don't have to spend my own money on something, and yes, it is a product that I get to use, but Andrew Edwards said it best once when he said, when someone sends you a product, they're sending you an assignment. And he is absolutely right with that. Often, I will spend hours, days, even weeks using a product to figure out the ins and outs intimately enough to know what it's about. That's not free time. That's a lot of time spent on a single product, and that time includes also writing, reading, and editing the script that you're listening to now. So if you figure, uh, what, $25 per hour salary, which is, you know, I guess, somewhere around average for what a job like this would pay, if I spend three hours on a $50 product, I kind of lose money on the deal. And that's a crappy way of looking at it, but... It's not entirely inaccurate. So I guess you could say that I do get air quotes paid, but that doesn't influence my decision at all when I'm writing or recording reviews, because if I let that get in the way, I would be doing you a major disservice. So that's why I consider myself a reviewer. Influencers will generally stick to content that says, here's why yada yada is great. I don't do that. I will tell you why a product is great, but I will also tell you when it misses the mark. That is my promise to you. So that's kind of my process. I like to think that I'm pretty open about all this stuff. Next year, I'll probably do a write-up on CES and trade shows, a sort of insider's view. And hey, if this is the kind of content that you like, let me know. Benefitofadoubt.com slash contact. I've got an email form there. I've got an email address there. And I've even got a phone number where you can call and leave me a voicemail. If you want to hear more about the insiders of being a reviewer or a podcaster or both, let me know. It's fun. It's a fun job. I love doing it. And I love talking about it because, you know, I'm a podcaster. But overall, this is a look inside the life of a specific reviewer. Do I get stuff for free? Sure. But products are also assignments, and I have worked countless hours, countless enjoyable hours for sure, but still countless hours figuring out the best way to tell you why such and such a product is great or why it sucks. So I hope you've enjoyed this inside look, and now let's get back to the show. Our next guest on the podcast is, I believe, our first guest who has his own TED Talk. He's a neuroscientist from Stanford who studies the human experience through the brain. When he's not serving as head of product for Invisibly, he's a thought leader that has appeared on an alphabet soup of outlets like NBC, ESPN, VH1, ABC, The Science Channel, and The Wall Street Journal. And now he's reached the pinnacle of his broadcast career by finally appearing on the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. Dr. Don Vaughn, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> it's probably the best intro I've ever had. Thanks for having me. 
Well, you're very welcome, and I'm sorry to say it is, in fact, all downhill from here. So um, I just wanted to uh, start off. You are the head of product for Invisibly, and that's actually how you came to my attention. Um, Invisibly recently ran a study about sleep, and, you know, it's it's not the most techie subject, but we can get some, we can find some tech angles there. But I first wanted to talk about what is Invisibly and what what do you do there? Yeah, Invisibly is a polling and market research company. Um, we've created technology that's uh, sort of disrupting how that's done because it's using technology from the 1960s otherwise. Um, huh. And I'm the head of product there. So I, uh, I envision where the company's going and what the product looks like and how people use it and um, just making sure that we're making something that people want to use. Okay. Um, can you give us kind of like a snapshot as to how Invisibly, you said Invisibly is disrupting the marketplace. How how exactly yeah. is that? I mean, don't give away the farm, but <laughs> no secret sauce <laughs> yeah. in there, but yeah. Yeah, no worries. Um, so for, you know, for your audience who, who maybe doesn't know the details, if you, you get, when you see polling come out about Trump and Biden or about any issue that's out there in market research, you got to ask yourself, how do they, how do they get those numbers? How do they, how do they ask people their opinion on these things? And so um, a lot of them still use this 1960s technology of calling landlines um, ah. or call or robo dialing your mobile phone. Um, newer ones still use text messages, but I think what people are, um, you know, it feels really personal to get a call on your, on your line. And so what I think happened with the, you know, the Trump and the Biden election, um, why the polls were just awful again, um, with mm-hmm. Trump was because that, you know, it feels pretty personal to the call on your cell phone. They obviously have your number. And so they're calling you and asking your opinion. And when you have a figure right. who's as divisive as Trump, I think people are um, hesitant to give their true opinions if you're kind of right on the borderline. So um, sure. we've, yeah. So what, what te- Invisibly's done is we've brought polling to the 20th, uh, you know, 21st century. And it's that we, allow you to uh, ask people questions online. So you might see surveys online. Uh, you might be reading an article and it asks you casually, oh, are you going to vote for? Or what do you think about your sleeping habits and patterns? And people can yeah. respond online. Um, and that allows us to reach everybody because everybody's online. And Not so, everybody has uh, a landline. Sure. Oh, I don't. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. and you... Yeah. And your background is in uh, neuroscience. So how does that translate over into, you know, market research and whatnot? How do you use your expertise in that capacity? Yeah, you know, neuroscience, you can you can do it in a little mini level where you're looking at cells and trying to measure voltages and how, how brain cells are working. Or they're kind of on the macro larger scale of, um, well, you know, <laughs> How come? How do we feel love and hope and dreams? And you know, where does that all come from? This little three pound wet piece of goop in our head? Um, how does that how does that happen? And how do you get people um, to give their honest opinions about things? So a lot of my research was on empathy and when we care about each other and when we don't. Um, and that was what I wrote about. Uh, a lot of my research was on that. And I, I wrote about it in um, The Economist of just how that empathic divide happens. You hear one word about somebody or oh, you're Christian or you're Muslim or you're, you know, black or white. And it's just like, Boom, there's this automatic response in our brain to identify if you're part of our team or not. And if you're part of our team, we, we care more about you. And if you're not part of our team, then we don't. And um, that's just some of the biology that it looks like we're dealt. And so, tra- you know, trying to understand what's going on in there and versus what people say yeah. is 
core part of my, you know my my flavor of neuroscience. And so with Invisibly, it was a really good chance to take something academic in the lab and turn it into, well, how how do you you know how do you get your pulse on what people are really thinking if you can't measure their brain if you can just ask them questions. Cool, cool. Well, I like to think that a lot of the love and hope in this world comes from the benefit of a Dowd podcast. But you know, uh, <laughs> we'll 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 defer to the uh, the brain expert could be. in that. Uh, yeah, love yeah. remains to be measured, but it could be a significant fraction. That's right. So, um, all right. So uh, again, the reason you came to my attention was because of the survey that Invisibly took, which I thought was actually really interesting. Um, in we we it was in honor of National Sleep Awareness Month, and so. You polled, it looked like, just over a 1,000 Americans to find out their sleep patterns. And, yeah. And uh, I would say some of the data that kind of stuck out to me was, you know, almost half of Americans aren't sleeping very well at all. Um, yep. I think I think this particular morning you and I could count ourselves among those uh, <laughs> among those few. By the way, just for context, it's like really early in the morning for both of us, uh, but even yeah. more so for you. So again, thank you for for coming on. But you know, one thing that I thought was interesting is given the prevalence of uh, well, actually, let's let's before we dive into that particular subject matter, how important is sleep to the functioning of the brain i mean as a neuroscientist i bet you have a you have volumes that you could talk about on that yeah there's a there's a lot on sleep i mean it's it's crazy but you spend about well you, you spend about a third of your life sleeping which is or at least you're many, supposed many, to <laughs> you're at least supposed to so let's say the average american spends about 20 years of their life asleep not yeah really conscious depending on how you define it and so um, we know sleep's important it's not not there by accident a lot of a lot of dispute about what like just to be clear nobody really knows exactly why like we got a lot of theories we got some data to to um you know support it but it's not like gravity we're like oh gravity definitely exists things fall every single time so you know some of it's like um you are think about sleeping as your uh, offline mental gym where you're actually your brain is rehearsing all the stuff you learn through the day without you actually having to do it. And so during some of these phases of sleep, your body is paralyzed so that you have these dreams and so you don't act them out in your bed. Um, but a lot of the times we dream things that we've practiced or learned recently. And th again, it's just like training that up every time. Uh, you learn something, it takes a little while to get it cemented in your brain. And so it's just like an offline gym. It's a nice way to do it. If you're, um, another one is, you know what? Honestly, it's just dark outside and better that you're asleep than wandering around the forest. So some people have that take on it of, well, we don't have really good night vision. So rather than get bit by a snake, just sit put and we'll, we'll put you into a dream state and make you unconscious so that you don't get bored for eight hours or 10 hours. So then there's that side of it. Um, I actually just put a, an article in Time Magazine um, last month about uh, dreaming, visual dreaming, which is visual dreaming. Um, you know, uh, there's all these woo-woo explanations for why you might have dreams, and that's cool if you wanna if you wanna do that. A biological reason that we think happens is that you actually need visual dreaming because uh, the whole night you're not getting any visual input. It's completely dark outside, and so that visual part of your brain can actually slightly deteriorate overnight unless you are again practicing it. And so visual dreaming is like going to the gym for your visual system um, hmm. at night while you're not using it. It's like going when you would go into space and your muscles deteriorate. It's the same idea, um, but for your brain uh, and your visual system. So a lot of, lot of reasons why you sleep and some of the, you know, that's a super long answer. You said there's lots of volumes, <laughs> but I'll just say that if you don't sleep, 
there's, you know, people get there. We all know we're more irritable. So there's, there can be emotional dysregulation that happens where you're kind of, you're more of a butthead. Yeah. All right. Well, that's, <laughs> I did, a te- that's a technical explanation. I, I have to admit, I did not expect the word butthead to come up in this conversation, but here we are. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. so when it comes to sleep, given how important that it is for our, you know, emotional and physical well-being, um, and another study that, or another part of the notice, or another part of the study I noticed, I can talk, really, I can, is that only 14% of people have a consistent daily sleep schedule. And I know I am definitely not one of those 14%. Um, but, like, how, is, how important is it to have a consistent daily sleep schedule biologically? Isn't that wild? Yeah. It just surprised me so much. I was like, oh, well, um, it, it's important. So you have, you have, you know, we won't get technical, but these all these parts of your brain that are expecting sleep at certain times. They're expect, you know, there's the circadian rhythm. You've heard the term in biology class, and we won't get into it, but just like let's say it is important, and your brain's expecting it, and if you throw it off, you'd be okay. But you're just not doing, you're you're not making it easy for your brain. Let's say it that yeah. way, which is we evolved. You know, we it's nice to have electricity, but we evolved without it, and it's pretty clear that it got dark, you go to bed, you wake right. up early do your thing. And so it's just, you know, we can, it's like a hack. Electricity is a nice hack to, to keep going, but it's not um, necessarily the, what's best for um, your expectations and your sort of emotional health. I really think about that a lot of like, if you want to set yourself up for success, like sure, maybe we have enough free will to just be awesome in the day, but like give yourself, um, you know, some help and, and sleep enough so that you don't feel like crap. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now another another part of the study, and we should probably transition on over into you know why you and I are actually talking about this is one of the uh, one of the questions that you asked was whether or not people use any type of sleep tracker. And now it, it was the way it was phrased is using an app or device, not tracking your sleep, but not using an app or device, and then just a flat-out no. And 80% of people said they don't track their sleep at all, which I thought was actually really interesting considering the explosion of smartwatches and fitness trackers and devices that can a- that actually do track your sleep these days. I mean, I'm wearing one as we speak. Um, I don't know if you have one on or an Apple Watch or anything like that, but there we go. Uh, so, um, So, I mean, like, is there a way that technology can help people track their sleep and th- and therefore sleep better and therefore you know snowball effect? Let's let's all be better to each other. Like how how what's the what's technology's role in that? You can you can make a pr- look if you really want to track somebody's sleep hardcore. You put you go have to go to a sleep lab. You put electrodes on their head. You measure their brain patterns in your brain actually looks very different in all these different phases of sleep. You can, you can define pretty clearly light sleep and deep sleep and all the phases in between. Um, but nobody's going to go to bed with an EEG on their head. They suck. It's uncomfortable, blah, 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 blah. Um, so yeah. then the question is, like, can you track a proxy of sleep? And it turns out you can, which is that you know, the amount that you move is different in every sleep. You know, if you're really, really in deep sleep and your body's paralyzed, you're unlikely to move very much. You're unlikely to, to thus make any noise in the background. And so you can track this with devices. You can have, um, I used to have, I mean, for years I've been using the sleep cycle app, which it used to just sit next to you and it would listen. And the more mm-hmm. you shuffle around, it would just assume you're in lighter sleep. That's pretty reasonable. Um, and then they got an app for the Apple Watch where it just tracks how much you move with your hand. Um, mm-hmm. And I think you're probably your audience is like, well, why would I track my sleep? Sure, I'm glad you can do it. Who cares? 
Um, the <laughs> fair enough. Uh, the first yeah. answer is is that I mean the best the best uh, part is that it's becoming clearer and clearer that it's you feel more well rested when you wake up in lighter phases of sleep. So what you can do with these apps is it can track it. You set a half an hour window on it, and then it'll wait until in that half an hour you're in the lightest phase of sleep, and then it wakes you up there. And so you oh, actually okay. given exactly the same amount of sleep can feel more well rested. So I use it. I actually use it every. I use it every morning, and then I have a backup alarm uh, just in case. But I <laughs> I love it. You know. Awesome, awesome. So um, recently, Google came out with a new Nest Hub, which is using radar tracking to help track your sleep. And yeah. uh, I just I was kind of wondering, like. Uh, you know, I'm sure it uses, I, I, I've read that it uses microphones and things like that, but can you speak to anything? Can you can you speak to the role of using like radar to, is that just a, another form of motion tracking then? Yeah, I think I'm, it's another form of motion tracking to my, I mean, uh, I haven't done physics since college, but I, right. I can't imagine that radar is useful for, for anything else. It sends out waves, uh, it sends out sound waves, or in this case, maybe it's photon, I don't know if it was LIDAR. And then they bounce back and you get to pick up if somebody's moving around or not. And so same same kind of idea as your Apple Watch, just a little less uh, direct. Okay. And, and having this data um, from a smart tracker or from an app or something like that, uh, what can we do with that data in order to, you know, Im- improve our, is it just a matter of, you know, just making sure that we get that eight hours every day or is there is there more that we can do with that? If you're a hardcore, you know, dork like me, then you believe that data is the answer to like anything you want to solve. Like you, if you get enough data on something and you build a model to sort of have it predict something, well, they, you, you, whatever, what do you want to do? So if you want to wake up feeling more well rested, boom, you use the data and you wake up with the lightest phase of sleep. If you want to figure out like something about your lifestyle that isn't working and you're not, um, you can look at sleep consistency with these apps. And so for me, I, I actually found out that on <laughs> this is funny, but on Thursday nights, I just don't get enough sleep. And of course, it's Friday morning and I didn't get enough sleep. And there's, there's just a, <laughs> stuff just happens early on Friday for me or, or I'm up late doing something on Thursday. And so I, I now have tried until today to make the choice to go to bed earlier on Thursdays. But um, that's just it. It's like, oh, you're, you're doing a good job. Here's the one point you can improve it. Think about data as like your coach. You know, it's a, it tells you like, oh, in your life, this is something that is or isn't working for you. Here's how you could fix it. And you don't have to, but otherwise, if you don't track it, how are you going to know? Your you guess? Should. Yeah, yeah, and, and the data kind of gives you uh, places where you can uh, where can, you can focus your efforts. So, all right, neat. Um, let me ask you this. As a neuroscientist, what is the coolest thing that you have learned about sleep? Because I, I just, I like to ask these questions like, you know, the, the things that like not every, every uh, you know, layman knows. What, what's one of the coolest things that you've learned about sleep as a in your field your body completely paralyzes you when you're in deep sleep like you're it's not well, that sounds you're, you, that sounds terrifying <laughs> isn't that terrifying it's kind of cool and kind of terrifying it's for this dual reason of like you you're dreaming and so that you don't literally act things out you have to paralyze you have to be paralyzed uh, and 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 to me that was just wild of like I, I, okay I, I guess that's useful i, I mean Kind of thanks, but also a little bit creepy, and that's where things like um, cataplexy uh, come into it. Where if you if there's a dysregulation or something that doesn't work there, you can you can be awake and wake back up and not be able to move for a while. Uh, sorry, that's not cataplexy. Awesome. That's um, that's uh, a, a part of uh, narcolepsy. Yeah, 
I think it's one of the pieces that you can have. Sorry, I'm blanking on it right now, but it's because it's <laughs> Friday morning. But anyways, you can have sleep paralysis and not be able to wake up. Yeah, no, no worries. I forget things all the time. I've built a career off of it. So, well, doc- <laughs> well, Dr. Vaughn, I wanted to thank you for taking the time to come on, especially this early on a Friday morning. Um, I, you know, it's it's an interesting conversation, and I think it's one that you know I really hope that that technology can continue to advance the study of sleep and our well-being because of it. So, um, did you have any final thoughts for us about? sleep technology and sleep or anything that you know we should know before we uh before we sign off i'll tell you what i was sort of surprised about um in our sleep study and i'll just go back to invisibly's you know our real-time research product which is that we found out that people almost half of americans have said that covid has disrupted their sleep and Mm. that kind of blew my mind i just it's like COVID ruins you going out, it ruins hanging out with people and the one place you're supposed to be safe is when you go to bed it turns out that's not it either yeah, no kidding. No, I mean, you you, you think so? COVID ruined going out. COVID ruined staying home. COVID ruined everything. Well, thank <laughs> you so much, Doctor, for coming on. And now uh, I want to go ahead and roll out the red carpet for you. If you could tell us uh, where people can find either you on the internet or invisibly or both, um, you know, this is your time to uh, pimp your stuff. Da 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 da. Yeah. So you can <laughs> check all the full results from the study out at invisibly.com on our insights page. And if you want to look up some neuroscience stuff, then you can look at, look for Dr. Don Vaughn online and I'll be there mostly talking about it visibly. And, and, and what was it? Oh shoot. I forgot the, I, I, I was going to mention the title of the Ted talk. It was something about hacking your brain. What's the title of your Ted talk? <laughs> Neurohacking, rewiring your brain. And it talks about all the ways that you can use, or we're trying to use technology to make this three pound thing work a little better. I was close. I knew the hacking was involved somehow. So, <laughs> yeah. well, doc, Dr. Vaughn, thank you so much for coming on and for waking up so early to talk to us. And uh, hopefully we can uh, have you on again sometime. It's great. Uh, great to hang out. And even if it was early in the morning, thanks for having me. So that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. I would like to thank Don Vaughn from Invisibly for joining us and talking us all about sleep and possibly talking some of us to sleep. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, Don. It was a great conversation. I would also like to thank Cliff Thomas for all of his hard work behind the scenes. But most of all, and as always, I would like to thank you for listening and for giving me the benefit of the doubt.